You're listening to Four C's One Family, episode 65. Welcome to Four C's One Family, the podcast where expats and future expats can share and learn about life experiences abroad. I'm your host, James Thomas, coming to you from Taipei, Taiwan, and I'm so glad to have you traveling along with me on this journey, and welcome to the show. My special guest this episode is Angie Drake. She's an American expat who has been living all over the world ever since she was a child. And I can just say that, well, moving all over and living all over the world is just built into her DNA. She's married to a fine gentleman who works for the U.S. government who, well... They were lucky enough to be put in a situation where they can be stationed in different parts of the world with their children and learn a lot about cultures. Now, Angie has a very interesting way of uh, looking at the world. She has found the value into immersing herself as well as her family into the cultures that they visit. And this experience has shown to be priceless. And Angie has found a way to use photography to share her overseas experiences on her very fine website that we'll talk about in the episode. And before we get into this episode, let's hear from my fellow New York expat, Inez. Hi, I'm Inez from Fortinista.com. I am a certified health coach who empowers expat women after an exhausting international move. Women always put themselves last during this period, and I help them find balance. No crazy diets or extreme exercise program, but with a customized lifestyle plan designed to give them a body they love and build confidence to ease transition into a new environment. If you're thinking about getting a health coach or just want to learn more, head over to Fortinista.com. That's right, Fortinista.com. Inez will take very good care of you. Hey, if you are an expat and want to meet other fellow expats, join our Facebook group at the Expats Roundtable. The Expats Roundtable is a closed group at the moment, and uh, we have a lot of interesting uh, um, expats from all over the world who share common beliefs that we have a lot more in common than we think. So without further ado, let's uh, listen to our interview. Hi, Angie. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. Hi, James. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate the chance. Hey, thank you for uh, making the time because you sound like you're very, very busy, busy, busy lady. So, hey, where are you coming to us from? I am currently living in Washington, D.C. with my family. Um, I've got one kid out in California. The other kid's here with us. Um, My husband's stationed at the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. You've been all over the place. We have. We actually move quite a bit and getting ourselves um, re-situated every move takes a little bit of time and effort, but it's been worth it so far. We've loved every place we've lived. Let me tell you about how I found you because you have this very interesting website called Not Your Average American. And um, we get back into the site later, but reading from you know what I see on your site, you're quite interesting. You, you, you're into photography too, right? I, I am. Photography, I've always loved, but I actually discovered a passion for photography while living overseas in Quito, Ecuador. And I, I saw my camera as a way to capture um, culture through through the lens. And um, it, it, it sort of added to the pieces I was already writing for my mm-hmm. blog. And um, the combination has, for me, been magical. I've loved to, to write and to photograph and to share stories about South America and Ecuador specifically. Why, why, why Ecuador in this case? Why? I mean, what, what, what brings you to it? Ecuador. 
or didn't, it wasn't exactly a choice. Um, because my husband's in the U.S. military, we go where the military sends us. Um, he actually had a one-year assignment in, to Argentina. Um, mm-hmm. He was able to go study Spanish. Um, the government sent him to school to go study Spanish and then sent him to Argentina to go to a one-year school that colonels right. take, generally in the U.S. And after that assignment, it sort of opened up his world because he spoke Spanish. He was able to apply for different jobs in South America. So we actually applied to two different locations. One was in Ecuador and one was in Santiago, Chile. And um, we just happened to get Ecuador. And Mm -hmm. we're very fortunate that we did because it ended up being a really good fit for my family. You are a military brat also. So it's kind of like flows right into your blood, I guess, you know, traveling and jumping all over the place, I guess. Yeah, my my dad was um, in the U.S. Air Force. He was an enlisted guy for 20 years, retired after 21 years of service. Wow. And um, he and my mom taught me that when we moved to a new location, that it was really important just to dive right in. Um, you, you had to know the community, to know the local places, where to go hang out. For my dad, it was always fishing, you know, where's the best <laughs> fishing hole. Um, and they taught us to, they taught me and both my sisters that, that you embrace the positive about every place that you live. And then the things that are negative, generally you can overcome them. And, um, and I think he was right. That's very open-minded too. It, it is. It is. But I think most military families approach moves that way because otherwise um, you could slowly drive yourself crazy. If you right. focus on all of the negative aspects in a location, um, it's a good way to, to add a lot of stress to your lives. Um, it's not that bad things don't happen. They do. But they're mm-hmm. more manageable when we look for the positive aspects about a move. Right. And, and now you're an adult. You, you, you have, uh, you said you got a son in, in California, the other side of yeah, the I actually nation have, over there. Yeah, I have two adult sons. Um, the oldest one is 21. He'll be 22 this September. He actually chose not to move with us to Ecuador when we went. He had um, was 17 years old and decided that um, moving to Ecuador was a poor choice for him at 17. And so he moved back to California, which is where we consider home, because that's where most of our family is, and um, decided to start community college a year early. He um, he ended up getting his GED and testing out so that he could go ahead and start school without worrying about having parents living with him. And um, yeah, he did great, but it was an added added stress to our family because we were separating at a time we didn't plan on having a separation. And... um, a lot of expats go through this where they decide to move away to the United uh, to their country and leave family back in the United States. But it's generally not um, high school age, college age kids that they're leaving. And that was um, that was a tough choice for us, but it, it was the right choice for him. And we're glad he did it. And then my other son is um, 18 going on 19. Mm-hmm. He's studying acting here in Washington, D.C. And um yeah, and he's he's pretty happy, and we're probably going to be leaving him here in D.C. when um, his dad retires next year, and we decide where we're going to live in our forever home. <laughs> the forever home. Yeah, uh, you know- we're not sure. We know we're going to Portland, Oregon, um, but we're because all I've done is move my whole life. It it is really hard to focus and say where is that place that we will mm-hmm. spend the next. 20, 30 years of our lives. When you know that you're going to relocate someplace, 
when you know that you're going to have to get up, pack everything, get everything into the box and move on to another location, whether it's, you know, already, you know, known way ahead of time or how do you prepare or what advice you can give to people on how to prepare not only for the physical load you have to move, but move, but also the mental load that you have to move with you to a new location? I think one of the lessons I've learned after moving so many times is not to mentally move too soon. When you hear that you're going to a new location, um, if we're fortunate enough that the military gives us a year to six months notice, Mm -hmm. it's very tempting to go and figure out your new life in the new destination and start to ignore the life where you're at right now. And, um, that that is detrimental actually it's important mm-hmm. to learn about where you're going and to do your homework to understand what's going to happen but you also need to still live in the current moment you need to take it day by day you still need to go to the gym you still need to to cook the meals you like you need to clean out the closets in preparation but you don't you shouldn't focus so completely on that next place that um you lose focus of where your family is at in the current day. Mm-hmm. What kind of homework do you have to do for your next move generally? Cause uh-huh. you, you said something really key, you know, you still have to lead, live your, you have to function, still have to function normally and not trip up on, um, well, looking too deeply, I, I guess is probably a key thing to say. Yeah. It's not looking too deeply, but it's looking, it's, it's understanding the conditions on the ground. Um, for us, we have, um, We've always had a safety net when we move, obviously, because if the U.S. military is moving us, the government is moving us, um, they're paying for us to take our things with us. We don't have to sit there and figure out what can fit in two or three suitcases. Like I know many expats have to do um, when they move to places like Ecuador. You're limited in what you can take with you. So it's important to understand what is available in the country that you're going to. For example, in Ecuador, buying food and things like that is really inexpensive. Um, Maybe taking a few things with you that you can't buy there that you really, really think you need to have is important. But what might be more important is taking enough um, electronic equipment. It is super expensive to buy things like um, a USB cable to connect your headset to a computer. Um, To make sure you have all of those things with you in your suitcase is probably a lot more important than that you have a jar of peanut butter. Um, So you have to understand the conditions on the ground. Um, I would recommend, and I know from Ecuador, because we belong to a Facebook group of expats, that almost everywhere in the world now, if there's an expat community, has some kind of a Facebook group that you can join and ask questions. And I think that's a really good idea to find out from people who are actually living in the country where you're planning on moving to. Um, Ask them what they wish they would have done differently or what they did right. And that can help guide you in the choices that you're going to make before your move. It's a lot more convenient now than way back in the day, you know, when you didn't have internet or something. No, it's completely different. Even for military families, it's completely different. It used to be, uh, we used to get all of our support from going to, um, you know, an evening meeting where all, you know, the commander might call families together to talk to them about um, how to move or what was going to happen next. And nowadays, all of this support is happening online. 
And um, it makes it so much easier to ask questions, um, even the ones that sound sort of stupid, you know, <laughs> because you just don't know better and you're almost afraid to ask. Well, online, I think there's a little bit of less, there's less fear and um, there's a lot more information. Once you know where you're going and your feet is on the ground, your things are being unpacked or maybe already unpacked, how did you uh, find a yourself getting into the local community of where you are, you know, are there any, anything that stick out in your mind or anything like that? There is. Um, I actually learned a really important lesson in a previous move. When we um, went to go live in Germany, um, I had, uh, I decided I wanted to learn German. And so I could better um, integrate myself to the local community. And I started taking language classes on the military base. And um, mm -hmm. it was actually a big mistake because everybody <laughs> on the military base spoke English. And so we would be in class together and people felt nervous and didn't want to speak German. They'd speak English on the side. And oh. so I went and actually stopped those classes and went off base and found a German class offered for immigrants. And inside that classroom, there were people from all over the world trying to learn German and our common language was German. German. <laughs> and it made a huge difference into how, first of all, my ability to learn the language. I started learning more quickly and with more facility. I was able to use the language much more quickly. So when we um, arrived in places like Argentina and Ecuador, I never went towards classes where I knew there would be a lot of Americans in the classroom. And oh, it's not nice that move. I don't like Americans. <laughs> it's that I know that we rely on each other sometimes a little too much. And when I first moved to a country and I really need to learn the language, I need to know locals or other immigrants that are facing the same, um, the same problems I am, but right. they're willing to face them in the local language. So um, I... I immerse myself as much as I can in local organizations. In Ecuador, I joined a, um, a group of other military spouses, but they were mm -hmm. Ecuadorian military spouses, Air Force military spouses. Wow. And um, they volunteer at a nursing home every Tuesday. And it was a great opportunity for me because I actually would meet them at the local military base. We would get on a bus together. We would spend 45 minutes on the bus driving out to this nursing home in the countryside. We would spend two hours at the nursing home, and then I would spend another 45 minutes coming back. So I had four hours of Spanish immersion with Ecuadorians Incredible. and Ecuadorian culture. And it was absolutely the best thing I have ever done. Because um, first of all, when you're with elderly people, they love to ask you questions because they want to know more about you. And they had an American that they could ask questions about. And a lot of them had Americans, um, had families living in the United States. So they mm -hmm. wanted to know all about the United States. The great thing was, is that the questions were often repeated week after week. So it gave <laughs> me a chance to actually really practice the language and get my answers down. And um, it really just made me a more fluent Spanish speaker. But I also learned about local culture. I learned where people were from in Ecuador. They weren't all just from this one tiny place near Quito. They were from all over. And I began to see that Ecuador, even though it's a tiny country, has a huge amount of diversity in it. Mm -hmm. And um, 
those were important lessons in, and it made me feel more um, like I could belong in this country as well. Wow. So you, you, you took the language to a level where it put you in real life situations, dealing with real life things. And, um, you know, <laughs> by going, speaking to the elderly uh, people, you got to repeated practice. This is really cool. But tell me, are there any, were there any type of like, uh, let's see, uh, any type of, Oh, because people are asking you questions. You're from America. Any type of, you found yourself uh, kind of like uh, clearing up certain stereotypes about your nation and or vice versa. I mean, this, uh, that always goes on, I guess. Always. And that's actually where the name of the blog comes from. Um, we're called Not Your Average American because my family and I were told repeatedly, not just in Ecuador, but other places as well. Well, you guys aren't really American, are you? <laughs> you don't act like Americans should act. And we're constantly asking people, well, what does that mean? And the majority of them know the United States from film. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. I have this story. My, my, my youngest, when we were in Argentina, he went to a local school. Um, we, we put both of our boys in a local school to be immersed in Spanish. We didn't send them to the school that most Americans go to. Um, and he was invited by one of his friends to go to the movie theater. And we, um, we actually took him and we, we arrive into this crowded mall setting and we walk in and we're looking around to find this kid and his family. And we hear across this crowded mall in English, this kid uses the F word Oops. to, to say hello to my, to my son. How are you effing doing? And um, oh, and, and comes running across. And the look on my face was like pure shock. I, I didn't know what to think. No one else in the room turned around. They had no idea that this isn't how we greet each other in the United States. And so my son and I, later, after we got home, I talked to him. I said, you know, maybe you need to tell your friend that that's not the way Americans greet each other. And he says, but mom, he'll never believe me. Oh, he knows he knows Americans from film and from television, from from videos, from music. He says he thinks this is how Americans greet each other. And maybe the few Americans he has met do greet each other that way. Wow. So it's an interesting um, conundrum. I think we're sometimes the best diplomats for the United States because we at least show that um, that there's there are differences even in American culture that people from other countries aren't always aware of. Wow. So true. So true. What was it? Did you do this consciously to put your kids in local schools, not the military sponsored schools? Um, we did. We did make that conscious decision. And again, the lessons learned um, in Germany helped us make better decisions for our kids when we were in South America um, both of my children attended German kindergarten mm -hmm. and um, they were very young at the time, but we wanted them to learn the German language. And we noticed that when they attended kindergarten where there were other American students, language learning didn't happen or it was very. Oh. So we um, we actually intentionally learned to choose places where there were fewer American students so that the kids couldn't rely on English as, um, as a tool. And their year in um, a South American school and an Argentine school was probably really tough for them. Actually, I know mm -hmm. it was really tough for them, but they were old enough to help make that decision with us. 
we told them both that they were to give it six months. And if after six months they felt that it was not working, that we would take them out of school. And we'd, we'd homeschooled a lot in my, during uh-huh. my husband's career. So we were prepared to remove them from school and homeschool if we needed to. Um, we also told them that their grades were not important, that what oh. we wanted them to do was learn the language. Now, their grades were fine. The end of the year, they both had great report cards. Um, so it was never really a concern. But we knew, we've already done our homework, we knew that when we returned to the United States that they would always have the option to take a a GED, a general education Mm -hmm. diploma, um, instead of having a regular high school diploma, and that if the grades were not great, it wasn't the end of the world for them. And um, it's worked out really well. They both speak fluent Spanish. Um, they've oh. had to work really hard to um, manage that Argentine accent, <laughs> but they've managed to mellow it out. Um, Connor now speaks, my youngest speaks with um, an Ecuadorian accent. He was three years there. He was taking acting classes. He acted on the stage in Ecuador. Um, and his accent, they worked with him to have what they call a mellow accent with no, so you couldn't tell exactly where he was from. Mm-hmm. And people don't know that he's from the United States when he's on stage. They know he's not necessarily Ecuadorian. Um, He's been called Brazilian a couple of times um, because they can tell that it's not quite native Spanish, but they know he's rarely identified as an American, which is interesting. It's very, very interesting because now he's like unique. He's being, you know, being an, an actor, you know, being unique is sometimes a great plus. It is a great plus, but I think I think having a second language um, is actually there's a lot of reasons to be able to speak two languages fluently, um, and I think that not enough Americans take advantage of the opportunities to really right. immerse themselves in foreign languages. I wish that they would. I, I hate when I hear an expat say, "I can't learn the language." Oh, it, it's it's one of the saddest things to go live in a foreign country and then feel like you can't learn. The local language because you miss out on so much when you can't communicate. No matter how bad you are with the language, and when people see that you're trying to communicate with them, they'll help you through it, and you end up getting so much more out of the so much of a benefit. And you know, and, and it also makes people become so much closer when you're able to talk on the same frequency. I guess is the term. Exactly. Yeah, it became important for us in Ecuador to actually tell people that we were trying to learn the language fluently and to correct our mistakes because they were so happy we were making the attempt that they were putting up with sometimes what, looking back, were probably pretty um, glaring errors in our Spanish. But they didn't want to correct us at first because they just they didn't want to scare us. Uh-huh. They didn't want us to think we weren't trying hard enough. And it took us a little while. But our best friends, the people who really we got to know well, we would just tell them, look, correct us. It's OK. And um, it's they began to realize how important it was for us to really want to sound Ecuadorian, not just to be able to get a point across, but to be able to understand the jokes and to use uh, colloquial vocabulary. Um, so we could hang out. And um, yeah, and it, it, it worked for us. Yeah, learning language just brings you a little bit closer, closer to the point that you, you are, you, you, how would you say this, these connotative things that you learned, are there any like uh, uh, cultural habits that you picked up from overseas that, that is now glued to you or to your children for the rest of your life or their lives? Oh, that's actually a good question. I've moved so often. 
that I have a feeling a lot of the things that are habits for me have come from other cultures. <laughs> and I may not realize where my own culture and those cultures overlap. Having a British mother and an American father was the beginning of that because my my childhood was already a blend of two cultures. And a lot of people don't see that. They, well, they're both English-speaking cultures. They can't be that different. Uh, they're actually remarkably different in a lot of ways. Um, uh, my mother has always been a little more formal than my father. Um, we had anything that was regimented, ironically, I think comes more from my mother, even though my dad was in the military. Um, you know, having a cup of tea every afternoon, um, how you sugar it, how you add the milk, uh, th those little things like that are just so ingrained. Um, we've added things everywhere. Um, in Germany, we, we've added foods that we loved to our family um, favorite recipes, and I cook them all the time. We now drink mineral water at the table, which we never did before. Um, I think the idea of market culture, of going to the market to buy things, um, to a farmer's market, began in Germany. and um, But in South America, too, we found that going to local farmer's markets and small markets um, was a really great way to get to know the community. But it, it added value to our own home because we were bringing home fresh produce. Um, and the other thing is artists, artisans. We really have learned to appreciate handicrafts, anything made by hand, um, people who work with their hands for a living. Um, I think in the United States, we don't always value the plumber that comes to the house or the carpenter that fixes the cabinets in the kitchen. Um, those kinds of skills are very important in other cultures. And I think um, we try very hard as a family to value that. We, we try not to buy cheap products made in um, a slapdash manner. We try very much to spend our money in ways that help people immediately with as, as few middlemen as possible. And I think that comes from having lived overseas. You know, it's amazing how you and your family totally put both feet in, of course, well-planned and adjusted, made the necessary adjustments to the different cultures and locations where you lived. But, you know, you meet, you probably have met a lot of other expats that probably had a hard time adjusting. What, what do you feel were the obstacles or the barriers that prevented them from enjoying their overseas experience? I think having um, unfair expectations of another culture is probably one of the worst when expats go to a country and they expect the same rights, um, freedom of speech, uh, freedom of the press, um, a lot of times they expect these things. They don't even know not to expect them. They're so used to them as Americans that they don't realize that in other countries that these sometimes are not rights. And I, I find. Um, when expats question a foreign government, they're living there. They've went there in order to have supposedly more freedom, but they don't necessarily notice that the people who living there, the residents, the citizens of that nation don't have the same freedoms they have as an expat. Um, it, it causes this kind of discord um, 
in their lives and they don't even understand exactly what's wrong. Um, but it, it doesn't, it means they can't really settle properly where they're trying to live. Um, but I think people who, who embrace what the local culture is, um, if you're going to go live in South America, for example, in, in Ecuador specifically, the, the government is a more leftist government. They have more socialized programs. They're not, they're not a hundred percent socialized. Um, things like healthcare, believe it or not, is not necessarily free for everybody. There are, are pre preconceived notions that when you go to these countries, you're going to be treated a certain way as, um, as an expat or as a resident coming in. A lot of people try to get Ecuadorian residency and, um, they get very frustrated with the bureaucracy and, Oh, it should be easier to do this. It should be easier to do that. So bureaucracies in some ways are the same all around the world. They're not, they're not designed to make your life easy. They're designed, um, to promote what that government sees as, um, appropriate programs for your citizenship. Yeah, I think I think that gets in the way a lot. The 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 irony when you ask me that question, I actually go right to my son, my oldest son, living in California, because he actually had the biggest cultural adjustment, I think, of um most expats I know, and it was in his own country. He had lived so much overseas. And when he had lived in the United States, he lived in a variety of different states where the cultures were very, very different. Um he lived a little bit in Utah, a little bit in Nevada, uh, quite a bit in Texas, a little bit in Alabama. And so when he moved to California, he he actually struggled just mm. a little bit um, with trying to fit in. And it was um, it was really tough for him. Part of it was kids his own age didn't see the world the way he saw the world. He didn't know quite what to do with that. And it's got to be really weird to feel like an expat in your own country. But that's how he feels. He feels like he is, he's an American, but he also feels like he's not like most other Americans. A different kind of reverse culture shock? It is sort of like a reverse culture shock. It is. And the irony is, is we've tried really hard. We knew that our kids would not join the military. And so towards the end, end of my husband's career, we've made sure to not live on military bases, to always choose to live away from the base, to shop in local stores, to make friends with civilians, so that my children would have those opportunities to know what Americans are like, not just mm-hmm. military community Americans, but other Americans. Right. Um, and I think it's helped a little bit, but it's not helped a hundred percent. There's, there's still this, you go to a community and these people have lived there for the majority of their lives. They've not left the state, um, except for maybe a vacation or two. Mm-hmm. And they, um, they just, don't have the same experiences. And so when my kid tries to explain why he thinks a certain way, so much of it is based on his life experience outside of the United States and trying to translate that experience so that other Americans can understand him right. has been really tough. Oh. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I can understand that to a bit because when you 
especially when you're, you're in another country and you meet other expats together, and especially like in your situation, you were in a class learning Spanish with people from different cultures, and your common language just was Spanish. What that was it? Yeah, and that was it. Go, right, and you have a whole different view of the world. And when you go back home and you talk to people who, well, they may have been on, on vacation overseas, and we know the, a, vac- a vacation is just you just see a whole different. It's a show. It's not the real place, you know. It is. It it's is. You're real. traveling in a little glass house. <laughs> it's hard for me sometimes to talk to my friends and family back home. And there are issues that I cannot understand because I'm not in the States. And I'm trying to get more and more people, encourage more and more people to see more of the world. Do you ever find yourself doing anything like that? Oh, constantly. Um, trying to look outside of of our own we call it a worldview, but mm-hmm. honestly, for a lot of Americans, it's not a worldview at all. It's it's a very isolating view. They only see the United States in um, sort of like these poor kids in Argentina who see the United States only on film. Uh-huh. Many Americans only see the United States as we're portrayed on the news. Uh-huh. And um, they don't understand the impact often that the United States has overseas right in, in ways uh, yeah it's it's been especially hard I have to tell you I think for our family it has been easier to be back in the United States since the last presidential election mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I don't know how to answer people's questions about right. what's going on right now um, because this is so to me I'm looking at one of the most un-american presidencies in my life it, and I tough. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to explain that to people. It's part of a democratic process. It's, um, you know, the way we elect the president is different than a direct democracy. That plays into what's going on right now in our nation. Um, I guess true democracies have to struggle. Right. And I think um, those are probably important lessons to share. But it's, it's, it's tough. It's rough, you know, It's especially with what happened in um, places like Charlottesville and um, uh, supremacist movements going around. It's causing so much divide. It doesn't have to be like that. And But let's talk a little bit about your site. I started Not Your Average American just before we left for Ecuador. Um, we'd already lived in Argentina, so I knew when we went back to South America that I really wanted to write um, for my own blog about our experiences in Ecuador and in South America. So I started, um, I started it here when we were stationed in Washington, D.C. before and mm-hmm. um, wrote up a few pieces, started taking photos and found that I really enjoyed it. And the blog has evolved over time. It is definitely has a heavy travel and culture focus. I love to interview um, local artists. Um, I love to interview business owners. And I love to tell stories about the places we visited um, beyond. There's a little bit of a tourism aspect. I want people to understand the touristic value of the places they're going. But I want to make a connection between the importance of our tourism dollars and how they help local economies. Mm. So Not Your Average American is really an attempt to bridge culture, to show North Americans how their travel in Ecuador can help change lives in Ecuador and um, that it's really important, not just that you travel, but how you decide to travel. 
And can you tell us a little bit more about the Facebook group? Yeah, the Facebook group. We're um, about 2,000 members strong right now. It is a combination of Americans wanting to travel to Ecuador, Americans who have already traveled to Ecuador, and a lot of Ecuadorians. Um, I actually have attracted a a large expat community of Ecuadorians living in the United States. Oh, cool. They love to see stories about their home country. And um, I started to reach out to them intentionally, and I did it for a funny reason. I noticed that my mom on Facebook, her favorite thing to share are stories about England. Cool. And uh, it made sense. My mom's English at heart. She's an American citizen with, you know, born in Britain, and she loves to share everything she finds on tourism in England. And I'm like, well, then of course it makes sense that people living in the United States from Ecuador would love to share more about Ecuador. So it's a, it's a nice community because if people have questions, there's usually someone who has an answer to one of the questions that they have. Angie, I really thank you very much for giving me the time to spend and talk with you. I, I hope maybe we'll, we'll get back, you know, I, I'll get back with you again in about a year or two to see what's going on. But I, I really appreciate that. it. I've really you know. enjoyed this conversation. Thanks so much for inviting me on the show. Well, thank you very much. And look, if, if you'd like to get in touch with Angie, you know, jump over to our website, Not Your Average American, or find her in the Facebook group. What's the Facebook group, group name? The, the Facebook name. page is Not Your Average American. Okay, also so the pretty same. pretty easy to find. Cool. So, Angie, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, James. You have a great day. And I would like to thank you for joining us here at Four C's One Family. If you have any questions, please drop by our website, fourcsonefamily.com. We are looking forward to hearing from you. And drop us a message on our SpeakPipe page. And once again, if you are an expat, you can join our Facebook Expat Roundtable our private uh, group. We'll, we'll love to have you joining with us. For One Sees One Family from Taipei, Taiwan, I'm James. Take care. Thank you for being with us. Zai Jian.